Welcome to the Bucket Plan On Demand, a podcast for financial advisors based on the best-selling book and process that simplifies financial planning. Hear from skilled industry professionals and special guests each episode that will help perfect your approach with clients and your results. Welcome, everybody. Uh, We're going to kick off February here, which uh, I just learned that February is Ensure Your Love Month. And so uh, what better way to kick things off than uh, have two of the best insurance gurus that I know of uh, joining us today to talk about tapping into life insurance options and products and strategies. So I think everybody on the call knows these two individuals, Stoyan, who recently this year joined our team at C2P, helping you know really lead our life insurance division, as well as advanced markets and investments. And Walter Young, who is leading from the front in terms of a, a top advisor and advisor at JL Smith, working with all the clients over there and helping JL Smith do a lot more life insurance business. And so welcome guys and uh, everybody else that that have has tuned into the, the podcast today. Good morning, everyone. Mm-hmm. Great to be here. All right. Well, let's get things kicked off here. So Stoyan, I just kind of want to turn to you first. I mean, you know, I think as we all know, life insurance can be pretty misunderstood. I use the three M's all the time with life insurance. It's, you know, the most misunderstood asset by clients. It's the the most kind of mismanaged product by wealth advisors and quite frankly, it's probably the most missold product by by agents traditionally and how they structure the life insurance, not, not necessarily selling life insurance in general, but the overall structure of the policies. And so, you know, what are some key ways advisors can improve the conversation around life insurance with their clients and kind of help cut through those three M's of misunderstood, mismanaged, and missold? I think the first one, probably the easiest one, is to consider it as an asset. It is an asset, and it it should be looked at such on on the client's balance sheet, whether it's going to be personal or business. It doesn't really matter how you position it, because even a small term insurance policy or a low-cost term insurance policy can create immediate wealth effect to, to the people that you love in case something happens to you prematurely. So... When you look at the different types of life insurance and how they apply to your balance sheet, it's even the cash value life insurance. And once you start building that cash value within your balance sheet, on on your asset side of of your balance sheet, you can use it as, as a low to no correlation option to your remaining investments. I personally use my cash value life insurance policies as my bond alternative in my soon and later buckets. So I can invest the rest of my portfolio in a more aggressive fashion, knowing that my fixed life insurance policies are not gonna fluctuate in value based on how the market performs and and where interest rates go. So that's the easiest way to look at life insurance is as an asset and approach it as such. Just a quick story for everybody to understand how they can use that in in their personal setting. A couple of years ago, everybody knew how crazy the car market was uh, in the US. Uh, there were no cars in the lots, uh, cars were going above asking price and so on and so forth. So one of my cars was coming off of a lease 
And I had just made a check, a very generous tuition contribution to a local college here for one of my sons. And so as my car was coming off of a lease, I had a quick decision to make. Okay, do I surrender that vehicle to the dealer and make him very happy because the car was in the money, the lease was in the money? Or do I want to refinance it? Refinancing options were 6%. So what I did, what most people with a life insurance, properly funded life insurance policy would do, is just dip into the life insurance policy, borrow it for, and basically repay my, myself back over the next few months. So there are so many uses for life insurance, but the most important thing that people should remember is it's an asset then it should be looked at such. Yeah. And I think just giving kind of stories and examples, you know, that I've always found that kind of indirectly helps position the opportunity to talk more in depth about what life insurance does. I'll give you just a couple examples and then I want to turn it over to Walter. But I was emailing with a client who had retired early. They're 50 years old. They're just kind of out sailing the world on their sailboat that they had built. And they had emailed me about a week ago saying their parents over in the UK just sold one of their homes in France, and they wanted to take the proceeds and leave it to five grandkids. And so they were talking about kind of starting to expedite inheritance planning. And they wanted to know the best way to do it for the the two children of my client because they're in the United States, not in the UK. So the planning was going to be a little bit different. So I gave them some advice and options on, you know, all kind of the basic stuff, a UTMA account or setting up an irrevocable inheritance trust for the children or just giving it outright, kind of just laying out the trade-offs of all of these. And then, you know, at the bottom, I said, you know, maybe we should in our next planning meeting talk about any goals or objectives you might have for legacy planning for your kids and grandkids. And I just gave an example of like personally what Alana and I do in our own financial plan is I shared, you know, for me and Alana, we purchased a permanent life insurance policy that has about $6 million of death benefit. And we know that's going to be the inheritance for our kids, our three girls, And what that does is it gives Alana and I the permission to go spend all the rest of our money on ourselves in and through our retirement. And so I know you two are planning on, you know, spending a bunch of money, traveling the world, being on your sailboat. But, you know, we could bring a lot of certainty to the inheritance discussion by utilizing life insurance instead of, you know, trying to not spend all that you have in hopes that there's some assets left over. And like, they got a response back. Like I got a response back yesterday saying like, that sounds awesome. We just got to Jamaica. Let's have a conversation in the next couple of weeks about this. I share all the time how I often use my cash value in my own financial plan. And I was having a conversation with a client the other day. He's been a longtime client of mine. I've been educating him on permanent life insurance as part of his soon bucket for 10 years now. And he's he hasn't done it. And so he called me the other day and he was like, hey, I want to buy another rental property. He's been accumulating rental properties. And he's like, but the mortgage rates right now are just kind of stupid. He was like, there's got to be a way rich people like 
capitalize on these opportunities without taking out seven, eight, nine percent loans. He was like, you know, like, what do you do for it? He knew I was building something right now. And he said, like, what did you do? And I said, oh, I got a loan for 2.25 percent. He goes, how in the world did you get a loan for 2.25 percent? I said, oh, I borrowed against my life insurance and the on my pack life policy, the, the loan rate was 2.25 percent a lot better than paying seven, eight, nine, 10%. And he said, oh, is that thing you've been telling me to do for the last 10 years? I said, yeah. He said, could I put a whole bunch of money in it right now? I said, well, no, like we needed to build it up over time. And he was like, all right, I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to bite the bullet and pay the higher rate. And then once I buy that property, let's start talking about how we can really fund this so that five or 10 years from now, when I want to buy another property, I don't have to you know, worry about these high rates. And so I think just giving stories and examples, you know, really kind of resonate with helping clients connect the dots on this is truly an asset, whether it's a death benefit asset or whether it's a living benefit asset, you know, it's a, it's just a, another asset and another tool to have in their toolbox. And it has one of the lowest correlations to all of your other assets. It improves your portfolio's alpha. It improves your portfolio's beta. And it reduces, you know, it, it kind of improves the sharp ratio and the Sortino ratios of, of your portfolio if you use properly structured fixed life insurance policy. So is that, is that so what motivates your clients to buy at Stoyan? You talk about, what is that, a Sorrentino ratio? A Sorrentino ratio. That's no, I'm the, just kidding. The <laughs> I'm messing with you. I'm messing with Walter, how about you? You kind of, you know, you're great at simplifying also. And and I, you know, I love this concept you've shared with me over the years of like the desert island dilemma. Can you talk about how you position and simplify life insurance and annuities, quite frankly? But, you know, I know the topic today is life insurance with this concept. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate the fact that we talked about life insurance being an asset class and in a private line of credit, really. And I think on the other side of the spectrum, we could talk about how life insurance really enables retirement income and really helps people when they're doing the retirement income planning. And so one of the things I did as I developed this little parable that's part of my book called The, the Desert Island Dilemma, and it's really effective in groups or even with a, a couple where you let them participate. And it just goes like this. It's real simple. Imagine you washed up on a desert island. And as you look around the island, you recognize there's no water. But then luckily, a barrel of water floats up into the shore and you go down, grab the barrel and open the lid. And yep, sure enough, you can smell the sweet, fresh water that's in the barrel. And then the, then this, this question hits you in the face, which is, is this all the water I have to drink? And if this is all the water I have to drink, then how much water can I drink each day? Well, before I answer that question, I would like to know the answer to two other questions, which is, well, how long will I be on this island? Well, as you look around the island, you notice that there's no ships, no planes overhead. So you may be on this island for a while. And then the second question is, will it ever rain? Well, when I look up in the skies, I see nothing but a blazing sun. And I know that maybe this island doesn't get a lot of rain. So then ask the client, if you don't know how long you're going to be on this island, and you don't know if it will ever rain, how much water will you drink out of this barrel each day? And invariably, the answer will come down to as little as possible. Right, which is the right answer, which is when is that if I don't know how long I'll be there or if it's going to rain, then I need to drink enough to stay alive, but keep enough water to be rescued. And so now let's shift the scene. Instead of being a desert island, let's pretend you're in your office and you're celebrating your last day of work. And your boss gives you a barrel, but instead of water, it's all the money you have for retirement. And on your way home, you're starting to think about all the things you want to do in retirement. But then the idea and this thought hits you, which is how much money can I spend each day? 
Well, we would like to also know two similar questions, wouldn't we? We'd like to know how long will I live, an unknowable question, and how will the markets do during my retirement, an unknowable question. And so then you ask the client again, if you don't know how long you're going to live, and you don't know how well the markets will perform, how much money can you spend each day? And they will be, immediately see the correlation that they will go to, well, probably as little as possible because I have to be nervous about what happens if I live a long time or if the markets don't perform well. And so the idea behind that is that the answer to those two questions can be answered very easily, we know, by actuarial science, right? And so what traditional financial planning does is it offers us four, what I call frustrating options to solve that problem, which is if I don't feel good about the answer I have from a retirement plan, then I'm given the choices of save more money, which can be challenging, take, you know, try to get better returns in the market, which means taking more risk, work longer, which is never fun, or what most people deal with is they just capitulate and decide that they can live on less. And this is when you'll see that people begin to say, well, I don't need to go on trips. I don't need to go visit my kids because they start to have this defeatist attitude of the fact that they're re recognizing that they don't know how to deal with retirement income. But luckily, there's a fifth option. And the fifth option is the ability to combine actuarial science and the investment markets to create better outcomes. And so we think about how life insurance plays that role. The death benefit of life insurance is it gives us the ability to purchase better income products in retirement, like different kinds of uh, SPIAs or different kinds of, of annuity ladders, knowing that when I pass away, as Dave mentioned, all the money that I give to those insurance products for better distribution planning comes back to the family. I basically have a nice way of recovering all the dollars I spent as a legacy. Or I can use the cash value as a simple uh, buffer against negative markets, right? So people who love being aggressive in the markets of retirement can use the cash value as an offset for those negative years that happen. Those people who are a lot more conservative can then purchase better income producing options, knowing that they will have a full legacy recovery at some point. And so I've, I've used this story a lot in seminar settings and people really love, you know, kind of getting into the philosophy of that, uh, but it's also very effective just at the dinner tables as well. Yeah, that's awesome, Walter. Let's, you know, for both of you kind of talk about, you know, some things that you think advisors can do is as they're trying to incorporate life insurance into a, a holistic financial plan. I mean, Stoyan, obviously this is, you know, been something that you've been working with advisors on for, you know, over two decades, but, you know, for all of us kind of, as we're having conversations, like whether it's in our discovery meeting or design meetings or deliver or doing reviews with clients, how can we start to incorporate this conversation into the overall plan? So to me, and I have always told that to people that I discuss life insurance with, uh, buying a life insurance policy is the utmost selfless act anybody can uh, make in their lifetime because you're primarily buying it for the people that survive you, for your whether it's going to be your spouse, whether it's going to be your kids, whether it's going to be your grandkids, whether it's going to be a charity that you like, whether it's going to be what's going to be the business that that you love and that you have spent years building. There are so many reasons why people should look at life insurance as a way to buy cheap protection for the people that they love. And that's why we talk about life insurance today, because February is insure your love month. But look at it in the legacy bucket. If you're 
looking and approaching it from a bucket plan perspective, the legacy bucket is one that a lot of people think about life insurance. But if you if if you bring it a little bit more front and center for young families that are just getting started, they haven't had they haven't accumulated a lot of assets. Term insurance is just as good as anything to protect for their now, soon, and later buckets because they don't have enough assets built up just yet. And that's another use of life insurance. I often talk about the living benefits of life insurance, and we touched on one earlier, using it as a different asset class, using it as maybe a LERP, as a supplemental retirement vehicle. But you can also use the life insurance policy with its chronic and long-term care benefits that you can add to it if you so choose. So there are so many different ways, and you don't have to die for your family to benefit of a life, from a life insurance policy. You can utilize it while you're, while you're still living and accelerate that death benefit for long-term care, chronic illness, critical illness in some cases, and kind of use it as that additional tool in your toolbox to finish up those plans that you do for, for you and you for and for your clients. Well, and one of the things that I, you know, I love to have kind of conversations around, I got this from Dave Buckwald, and I know a bunch of one team people are on this call right now, but there's really two types of life insurance policies out there. There's a love policy and there's a greed policy. And like clients can resonate with that. Like, are you wanting to structure a love policy which is where we're trying to give the insurance company the least amount of premium for the absolute biggest death benefit because we love somebody that we want to be able to take care of them if we weren't around. And then there's the greed policy, which is where we're trying to give the life insurance company the most amount of premium for the least amount of death benefit because we're wanting to maximize the benefits for ourselves while we're alive. And again, I think going to examples of looking at your own financial plan, like when I share with clients that, you know, I'm 39 years old and I have the love policies that I mentioned that are set up to fund a trust for my three children, but I also have a totally different policy that has a million dollars of death benefit with a 2% monthly rider for long-term care. That's another love policy, but it's because I don't want my wife to have to be the caretaker for me if something were to happen to me while I'm alive. You know, and I think, I don't know, I pay four grand a year for that or three grand a year for that, which is totally different from the greed policies that we're stuffing 50 plus thousand dollars a year into to build up the cash value, which is just another asset, just like the real estate or the stock or anything else that I have that I can be able to tap into and utilize. And so again, kind of going to that terminology of the love and greed policy. And, you know, one of the things that that I shared when I said the majority of policies are missold, and I use this conversation with clients all the time is that the majority of policies are not optimized to be either a love or a greed policy. They're sold right down the middle where they don't maximize either ends of those spectrum properly, right? And I mean, that's why I'm so excited to have Stoyan on the team from a sophisticated case design standpoint, because there's so many opportunities to evaluate your client's policies that they have 
and talk about either love or greed and how it's optimized. Doyen, you've been involved in product development and you know, you know more about the mechanics of these policies than pretty much anybody I've met in the industry. Can you speak to kind of what you're seeing in the the marketplace right now? Maybe some common pitfalls or mistakes when advisors are looking at indexing or utilizing IUL and kind of how you think. I know, well, was it two weeks ago at Bucket Plan, you and I were sitting at the bar talking about even just all the different loan provisions and how they're calculated. But talk a little bit about, you know, maybe geek out with us technically for a little bit here. Would love to. That's nothing makes me happier. So some of the noise that has been made in life insurance circles for the last year has been the performance of the volatility controlled indices and how some of those indices have not panned out to the hype that they were brought into the market with. And and I have always held a healthy dose of skepticism towards those, especially within a life insurance policy. And there was a reason why insurance companies brought them on, but that has been one of the things that that has been going on behind the scenes. A lot of companies are starting to question the, their choices of volatility controlled indices in their portfolios. So we'll see how that pans out. Another thing that has happened over the last uh, six months, actually, last July, Protective Life received a PLR from the IRS. And the PLR allowed uh, the, an insurance company, in this case, Protective Life, to deduct up to 1.5% from the cash value in terms of asset management fees. Those are for, for people that are managing the cash value of a properly structured advisory VOL product is charging fees to manage the internal fund buildup. And that's a game changer. And you're probably going to see over the next six to 12 months, you're probably going to see companies starting out to come out with fee-based VULs that you can charge fees on the cash values. I was fortunate enough to work on one such product at Nationwide. I think it's, it's one of the better ones on the street right now, but I think soon enough it will be taken over by some of the other carriers. And that's going to be where the design is going to focus on going forward from a product construction standpoint. And all of those products will have their living benefits. They will have their, their indexed accounts. They will have their buffered accounts. It will, be a, it will be a fun thing to play with once they come out. And I can go on and on about Section 7702 and some of the changes that happened in, in early 2021 that I was also part of. Those are so exciting for people that are trying to build cash inside their life insurance policies. But I'm just going to stop here and allow Walter to talk to. Well, I think the key, you know, and Brian Sachs shared a piece that I use all the time that really shows the kind of risk spectrum of life insurance and it correlates it to like asset classes that I think all of our clients are familiar with, you know, whether it's whole life. GUL, IUL, or VUL, I think it goes back to having a conversation on what bucket is the money going to be in? How is the client going to be utilizing it and what their risk tolerance is? I mean, I was just looking at my own personal e-money. I, I own two whole life policies. I own three IUL policies and I own two VUL policies plus a bunch of term life insurance. And so like there isn't a perfect solution or answer. Like I use all of those things very differently in my own financial plan. And I think that 
having some of that conversation with clients about what their true risk tolerance or capacity is, you know, whether you want to utilize something like an IUL or a whole life or a VUL. But Walter, I know, you know, you historically have written a lot of whole life insurance. Obviously, you know, you utilize the spectrum of products though, just depending on what the client's looking for or needs. Um, any kind of thoughts on how you're positioning? Yeah, one one of the, I just got back from the Form 400, which you know is a, a deep dive into life insurance. And Bobby Samuelson, who is an industry leader's father, said something that I thought was the one of the best lines of the whole conference, which was, "Illustrate conservatively and administrate aggressively," which was just really trying to navigate the fact that these IULs, with all the different kinds of unknown indices and things, that you have to ma- manage them. Like you do any portfolio, that the longer you let them go without checking in on them, the more opportunity it is for some of these products to either you know, fall out of favor or not keep up with the illustration. So, so I think we will see some of these exotic things, you know, the exotic indices take a back seat, maybe to more traditional view well where markets are more pure. And quite frankly, the you know the view wells have you know the IE well capacity within them, and so you may start to see more of a reversion back to whole life where you have the guarantees. And the predictability, or you go to the other side, which is you're using the VOL, you know, to take advantage of the true market upside, as opposed to these kind of non-tested exotic indices that were all the rage. And we might see some of those, you know, in, you know legislated out again, or we'll start, we'll see, we'll certainly see all the regulators try to figure out how to get a, a good grip on, on being able to advise the clients, you know, how well those really work. Yeah, and I think it's important. And I know, you know, Stoyan, you and I have had a lot of conversations, like, you know. You have to look at those. In, I mean, and the indices are the same in indexed annuities. Like I'm not just picking, the, you know, it's not an IUL issue. It's just an indice issue. And it's an environment where over the last two to three years, we were in a historically increasing interest rate environment. You know, the reality of it is if a lot of those volatility control indexes have a larger allocation to a fixed income component, and we go into a decreasing interest rate environment, in theory, you should see those things perform quite well. And so I think it's just the biggest thing that that I always see with these indexes, whether it's IUL or indexed annuities, is that as advisors, they don't actually understand how they work. And so again, like, yes, in a very rising interest rate environment, you wouldn't want a high allocation to a volatility control index. But maybe in a decreasing interest rate environment, it might make some sense to diversify some of the money there. So and I know, Stoyan, uh, that's something you and your team can help our advisors with. Yes, and we're, we have been throwing out ideas at how to, to put some webinars together and some tools together to teach advisors how these work, what's involved in them, and how to evaluate basically each, each one of those indices. There are, you have to understand that some of these indices are fundamentally good indices, and just uh, kind of having the ability to separate the riff from the raft is, I think, very important. And I look forward to making a valuable contribution to the team here. Stoyan, just in, with a minute we have left, and, or Walter, I, we can't answer this in a minute, but Tim put a question, with commercial real estate coming under pressure, could this impact life insurance companies' balance sheets? Is it anything to be concerned about at this point? I don't think so. There may be some individual bonds that may be affected, but you have to understand that insurance companies have, they have the ability to wait out pretty much everybody. And they buy portfolios for the very long term. 
And just like, and I hate to bring this up because that's a scary thought, but you saw what the Fed did with the banks last year is they basically took on some of those, some of those bonds that were challenged and gave the banks par for that bond for the next year. So the Fed is working actively with insurance companies and banks uh, to address these, these issues. And um, I frankly think, uh, yeah, you may have some individual challenges, but uh, the commercial market paper is not actually up for uh, substantial renewal until probably 2025, 2026. And so there's a bit of time. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Stoyan, I, Kirsten just shared, Stoyan's going to be doing a webinar on 313 to talk about ER indices. Stoyan, that's going to be awesome. Thanks for putting that together. And if you need anything, please feel free to reach out to our team. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Bucket Plan On Demand, brought to you by C2P, an organization whose purpose is to educate, train, grow, and support holistic financial advisors so families can achieve true prosperity. Subscribe today for the latest episodes and insights. Visit c2penterprises.com to learn how we can help support and enhance your advisory business.